Hey, this is Gregory Bloom with Food Chat. Food Chat is a new show about all things food. Growing food, harvesting food, processing food, cooking food, and perhaps the most fun is uh, eating food. Uh, this summer, we're going to be talking to farmers, ranchers, food processors, chefs, and restaurant owners. Um, we'll be here every Wednesday from 12.30 to 1, so perfect time to talk about food during your lunch hour. Uh, you can interact with me with questions or comments at my website, gregorybloom.com, and uh, send me info and questions and anything you want to talk about with food production. Uh, today, I'm going to just give you a preview of today's show and also uh, explain a little bit about my 31-year career in the food business. Uh, so today, we're going to be talking about food myths, myths in food production, things that perhaps you don't know. Um, you probably know this, but uh, according to the USDA, less than 2% of Americans are now involved with food production. So very few people are involved with food production anymore. In fact, I find when I ask people that live in the city, in the Denver metro area, if they know anybody in food production, farmers, ranchers, uh, unless they grew up on a farm or live in a rural area now, they do not know anyone. Think about that. Do you know any farmers and ranchers that actually raise the food that's sold in retail stores? Uh, probably not, but of course, if you grew up in a rural area like I did uh, in rural Colorado, uh, most of my friends were farmers and ranchers. So that's kind of what you find is you have pockets of people that live in the rural areas that know farmers and ranchers and people producing food, and then in the city, not so much. Um, so some of the myths in, f in food production that we're gonna be talking about today, talking about today um, are uh, the no hormone claim. Uh, you find that on all meats. Uh, the cage-free claim you find on poultry, and also the product of USA claim. So this is Gregory Bloom at Food Chat, new show about all things food. Uh, preview for next week's show, the show that we'll have on next week, I'll be interviewing John Jaramillo from the uh, Colorado Restaurant Association, actually the Colorado Hispanic Restaurant Association, and also the Colorado Hispanic Chef Association. So come back next week and hear all about that. Some interesting stuff that you don't know what's going on in the food scene in Colorado, especially here in Denver. So I'd like to give you just a brief summary of my career in the food business. Um, I grew up on a farm near Brighton, Colorado. My mom still lives on the farm. And our farm was only 40 acres, so it wasn't big enough for food production, like corn or crops or anything like that. So what we did was we catered company picnics, big ones. We learned to feed groups of 600 to 2,200 people on a Saturday during the summer. We, the biggest group we ever did, which was actually too big for our, 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 you know, our capabilities at the time, where we did the RTD picnic. Yeah, the bus company, RTD in Denver, we did their picnic of 2,200 plus people. So that was huge. But that business put me and my brother and my sister through college. It was called Rivers Bend Farm, and the Platte River cuts right through our farm up near Brighton. And so it was a beautiful park-like, picturesque place. Little did I know that uh, learning how to feed large groups like that would prepare me for a career in the food business. But like any teenage boy uh, dealing with some teenage rebellion issues, I wanted a ticket off the farm and get away from my dad, who was a, a Marine Corps veteran of eight years and kind of ran the family like, uh, like, it was, uh, we, like we were in the Marines. And so I didn't like all the discipline there. So I got a ticket off the farm. Believe it or not, through the Rotary Club. Yeah, the Rotary Club has one of the best exchange programs in the world. In fact, if you ever find a high school student that kind of doesn't know what to do with their life or their career or where to go to college, 
have them check out the Rotary Club because Rotary Club, for the price of a plane ticket, will send a high school student from ninth grade through 12th grade anywhere in the world for a year of school and you live with host families and you can learn to speak another language. Well, they sent me to Japan. So that was a long way from home, but it was great. I loved it. I was off the farm and I learned to speak Japanese and I really just wanted to spend my whole career doing something with my Japanese after that. In fact, I went to college and went back to Japan for another year. Uh, my junior year of college and went to a top Japanese university in Tokyo. So I get out of college and I can speak, I would say conversational Japanese. I wouldn't say I was fluent. But uh, little did I know, I start looking for a career in the food business in 1990. I had had a lot of part-time jobs in college. I sold advertising on shopping carts. I even sold Bibles and cookbooks door to door in Washington, DC, but nothing that was a career. And I'm looking for a career and I'm praying and asking God for an opening. And he gave me an opening with a Japanese owned food plant back in 1991. Since then, I've worked in six different USDA inspected food plants right here in the Denver area, all family owned. And I've been involved mostly with sales, but also in production, you know, producing the food, worked on the production floor for a lot of my career, learning how product is made, especially meat products. Um, also marketing, uh, branding, how to create new brands, promotion. I've sold food to restaurants and large chains. I uh, currently uh, sell thousands of restaurants in Colorado products and uh, also uh, export a lot of product. I've done food shows more than I can count. That's the big thing in the food business is you promote your product at a food show. Uh, trade show kind of format. All of you have been to food shows or done food shows. Well, in the food business, we love food shows. We love tastings. We love to sample our new product and get some reviews. And um, by God's grace, I've been able to do food shows in China, Japan, Mexico, Colombia, uh, Panama, Costa Rica, Puerto Rico, and the Dominican Republic, all just because I sell food. And that's been a great, great career for me. Um, there's a lot of new things in the food business, and I kind of want to talk about maybe uh, some confusing claims that uh, you hear about in the food business, uh, specifically uh, the ones that I mentioned earlier, which are, you know, product of USA, um, no hormones, uh, cage-free. Uh, but before I do that, I kind of want to talk about the elephant in the room. Uh, the elephant in the room right now, of course, is... Uh, why is there no baby formula? Why is there a shortage of baby formula? Um, I can tell you being in the food business that like any food production um, producer right now, farmer, rancher, uh, food company, you've heard this expression before and it's so true. You, you go big or you go home. Farmers can't make money on uh, 10 acres, 20 acres, 100 acres. They, they have to farm thousands of acres and become very efficient with huge uh, fields that they own or lease and, and food manufacturing companies that process food, they're the same way. They have to go big or go home. They have to maximize their efficiencies, which includes how they buy products, what mean packaging products, the cost of the raw materials, even their labor. You can get the price down when you uh, economize and maximize your efficiencies. Well, why do they have to do that? Why can't small companies make it in the food business? So we know from this baby formula shortage that uh, we've learned that very few companies actually make baby formula. There's just a few big companies that are doing that. Well, it's a lot like the meat business, which I've worked in. Only big 
big meat companies can actually make it. The small ones have a very hard time uh, making a profit or being competitive in the marketplace. In fact, in the United States, uh, it's estimated that over 80% of the meat that you would buy anywhere is from four different big, huge uh, multinational companies. The biggest one, which is uh, owned by Brazilians, and nothing wrong with Brazilians, but they're, the, these, these, the, that company is the biggest meat company in the world, and they have just amazing, amazing efficiencies in how they do things. So how does this lead to a baby formula shortage? Well, when you're in the food business and you're trying to sell a big box retailer, any of them, you know, Walmart, Costco, any of the big box retailers where people love to shop and buy cheap. You know, when you go to Walmart or Costco, and I've done both, uh, they ask you, what's in this for us? Do you have a better price? Do you have a better product? Do you have, uh, what can you do that we can pass along to our customers that they don't have? You have a better tasting product? Do you have a cheaper product? Well, it all comes really down to price. Because uh, you, not a lot of things you can do with a baby formula recipe to make it more palatable or even a ground beef product or a chicken breast or things that I try to sell to those big box stores. So it really comes down to price. And so people love to buy in price. I remember when I was in uh, Brighton as a kid, they put the Walmart in uh, the, the east end of town along there on Bromley Lane. And unfortunately, that put most of the uh, family-owned retail stores on Main Street and Bridge Street out of business. Eventually, they all, they're all gone now. But back then, you might remember this, that uh, Walmart's big thing when you walked in the store was they buy things from the USA. They promote USA products. They promote, um, you know, um, domestically produced items. And there's American flags everywhere. Well, that didn't last too long before they realized that what people really wanted was not to be loyal to domestically produced items or products made in USA. They really wanted cheap stuff. They wanted products that were cheap. So they started bringing in imported items because, of course, our market in this country, our labor market, cannot compete with the market in China as far as labor. So became, some people called it China Mart, but and I have nothing against Walmart, a great company, great success story. I read the, the history of the company and Sam Walton. It's a, just an awesome story. But because people want to buy products cheap, that's what Walmart gave people. And so guess what Walmart does when they buy products, same as all the big box retailers do? They buy on price. You got to give them a screaming price. And the little companies just can't compete, which is why I really would love you to support Ranch Fresh Meats, my family company, we're selling high-quality meats. We're a Colorado family-owned company promoting and providing great quality meats that you can't buy a lot of times in a retail store. And we are supporting families that raise the product. The thing that makes us so different is we actually know where the products come from. We've vetted out the family, the ranch, the farm, the USDA plant the product is in. Um, but if you don't buy from Ranch Fresh Meats, and I, and I hope you do, and we don't sell everything, you know, we primarily sell meats, but just so you know, there's some great family-owned markets still in the Denver metro area that you can go that are not big multinational companies that are not publicly traded uh, on Wall Street, and uh, go there. You can go to Tony's Meats. Um, we sell them some product. They're a great family company. Uh, Edwards Meats, if you live on the west side of town. There's even a great uh, store up in uh, Denver, uh, north of Rhino, actually not Rhino, but Lodo, uh, called uh, Levers Locavore. It's on 38th Avenue. It's kind of like on the way to the old Edliches. You go down 38th, you're going west, you pass Federal and before Sheridan, you'll see Leakers Locavore. Great story, great products, great family. Um, and there's lots of other ones too. Um, and uh, too many to mention, but uh, I would just say, 
if you can, support the local family stores with your grocery dollar, which, as we all know, is increasing every day. So I'm going to talk more about myths in food production when we come back after this break. Hey, this is Gregory Bloom at Food Chat. We are so glad you're here joining us for our new show about all things food. Food Chat is about food production from farmers and ranchers and the things that they have to do to grow the food that we eat to the processors that process the food. And I've worked in many different processing plants and I'll be bringing some of my experiences uh, and stories to, to this show and also about the culinary side. Maybe the most fun side of food is the cooking of the food. We'll be talking about sous vide cooking and barbecuing and smoking and um, sauteing and I'll have some great guests on this summer for this show um, guests chefs and people that you know and people that you don't know and so uh, that's what we're here to do at food chat I'm gonna go now into some myths about um, food marketing claims things that I've seen that I just laugh at when I go to the grocery store and see this label and I'm thinking oh people are just so disconnected from food production and from understanding where food comes from and what how food is grown that they don't know these claims mean nothing uh, things like the no hormone claim no hormones the cage-free claim for chickens product of USA um, grass-fed beef let's look at the no hormone claim no hormone so why would they put a hormone in uh, on a label claim a no hormone claim well the only USDA actually FDA approved use of hormones is for beef and beef cattle are only given hormones at the end of their life when they're put in the feedlot so most of the beef consumed in this country is grain-fed beef why do we like grain-fed beef because grain-fed beef marbles the fat the intramuscular fat builds up and it makes the beef taste awesome and it's consistent and that's what most people want to eat when they eat a steak is a tender tasty saturated fat all throughout the muscle that's called marbling in the meat so that's why animals are put in the feedlot for typically three to four months wagyu can be in a little bit longer because their marbling is extreme but when they're put in that feedlot it's important for you to know that um, they gain more weight every day if a little tiny hormone about the size of your the last digit on your pinky finger so if you look at the last joint on your pinky finger you will notice that that's about the size of a pellet that is injected in the animal's ear the day they go into the feedlot and that helps them what what does that do that helps them be more efficient and gain more weight every day depends on the feedlot owner that you talk to but sometimes it could be up to a pound a day it depends on the animal their genetics what they're feeding what time of year it is they gain more at some seasons than others but the bottom line is it gets them in and out of that feedlot quicker now why do you want them in and out of the feedlot quicker because it's kind of like a hotel for cattle every day that they're in there it's costing somebody money either the producer or more likely just the feedlot owner and so beef get bigger quicker with that hormone and so a lot of people don't really like that idea of a hormone it's a synthetic hormone it's the same natural occurring hormone that's in the animal naturally it's a synthetic copy of that so is it dangerous I don't think so I think it's been around for over 70 years and allowed by the FDA because it is safe and they've done studies and they've realized that those hormones don't pass through the meat to people but 
there are a lot of consumers that just don't like the idea of beef given hormones. So you see a lot of beef on the marketplace, including the meat that we sell from our sponsor company that I own, ranchfreshmeats.com. We primarily sell non-hormone treated beef because people, especially moms, don't like the idea of giving their kids hormone treated beef. So a lot of beef anymore is no hormones. So that just takes the animal a little longer in the feedlot to reach the desired weight before they go to the slaughter plant. So that's why the beef costs a little bit more. It makes a lot of sense. But you should know that when you go to the retail store and you pick up uh, a chicken or pork or any other protein, you might see this claim that says no hormones. You see it on poultry products, you see it on pork products. Pork and pig, pigs and chickens are, and turkeys are never given hormones. It's not even allowed by law and it's just not done. You couldn't put a pellet. Can you imagine trying to put a pellet in a turkey ear? I mean, you know, that's, that's a YouTube video right there, but you, you can't, we can't be done. So it isn't done. So why would a food company put that claim on there if it's not done in practice? To differentiate themselves from their competition and to make their products sound good. And because people are so disconnected from the food supply that they don't know that no hormones are given to poultry or pigs or bison, uh, only to beef. So that's what you should know about the no hormone claim. And uh, if you want to know more about that, you can go to my website, gregorybloom.com, and you can go to articles, and I've got a paper that I have done on the no hormone claim and do I think hormones are safe or not, and you can read more about that if you want to. Let's look at the next claim. Um, it's also related to beef, but it's grass-fed beef. So you probably know if you know a farmer or a rancher, but maybe you don't, that all beef is in a pasture most of its life, uh, typically. So they're, you know, weaned. They're born in the spring, typically late March, early April. And then they're with their mom in the pasture and they're weaned in the fall. So they're learning to eat grass, chomping on grass while they're nursing off their mom. And then in the fall, they're weaned, they're separated from their mom. And then they're typically put on another ranch. They call that backgrounding and they put them on pasture for a year or maybe two. And so those animals are eating grass their entire life. But it comes to the last three, four months when you finish the animal before they go to slaughter that really makes the difference. So some go to the feedlot, most beef goes to a feedlot. Gosh, in Colorado, you can drive anywhere. You can drive to Greeley or uh, Fort Morgan or down south to Lamar, La Junta area. You can drive um, along I-76 up north. Uh, you can go anywhere north and find feedlots just all over the place, big and small, because that's where most of those animals are finished. But some companies, especially ranchers that try to go direct to market with their product, meaning they don't want to sell their cattle to one of these big four beef packers in the country and then kind of like not be in control of the final uh, sale, they would like to sell directly to the consumer. So to differentiate their product a little bit from those big four packers, they will finish on grass so they can make the grass finished claim. Nothing wrong with that. I am so glad that consumers have the option for either grass fed beef 
or grain-fed beef. And a lot of consumers, I find, do like the idea that the animal was not put in a feedlot at the end of their life. Even though if you go visit a feedlot, and I've gone to many, many times, hundreds of times, and you shoot video or just kind of go and see the general vibe for the uh, feedlot, like, did the cows seem happy there? The cattle, do they, do they seem like they're having a good time or are they miserable? Most of the time, they seem like they're pretty happy because they got their friends. They're all clumped together and they get fed three times a day a diet that they just love. Of uh, Typically, the diet in a feedlot is uh, uh, hay chopped up and mixed with steamed corn, mixed with local things that might be available in that market, like distiller's greens or beet tops or just things like that. But a veterinarian decides what those cattle are going to eat. But back to the grass-finished claim. If you do not like the idea of cattle being confined in a feedlot at the end, or perhaps you're, should I say, a little weird with your palate, meaning you like the taste of grass-fed beef uh, better than grain-fed beef. Not too many people do in national surveys, but there is a few out there that, that do like that. And I would say for those people, you should just buy grass-finished beef. But you will find on a lot of labels, back to labeling, you'll find a lot of labels, even restaurant menus. Oh, I see this all the time. It says, all of our beef is grass-finished beef, or typically they won't say finished, they'll say grass-fed beef, grass-fed beef. Well, by that they mean that this animal, for the most of their life, was fed grass as they're eating the pasture, and even when they get to the feedlot, if you go pick up a handful of feed, you'll see what they're eating is a lot of chopped up grass and silage and things like that. So that kind of technically qualifies as grass-finished beef. So my point is that a lot of grass finished beef is still finished in a feedlot or even small uh, producers that I visited their farms and they're making a, a, a grass fed claim. Uh, they have a small little pile of, of, of grains and stuff for the cattle to eat to make the beef taste better. And also sometimes animals get a little, they're not gaining weight. They get a little sickly or the quality of the grass on their ranch isn't exactly what they want it to be because of the drought or so much of the quality of beef depends on the quality of the grass. And so if your ranch doesn't have great grass that year or it's a little overgrazed or whatever, the drought, then you need to f supplement your cattle's diet with some with some grain. So that's just one thing to to be on alert for is that grass-fed claim. And um, why do they do it? Again, they want to differentiate themselves from the marketplace. That's what really all these label claims are about. It's about product differentiation, which sometimes is good and sometimes is bad. But I think for the most part, it's just very confusing. Uh, if you do want to buy some high-quality beef, we have both grass-finished beef that is truly grass-finished beef that we vetted out. These animals have never been in the feedlot at all. We have that at ranchfreshmeats.com, although most of uh, the beef we sell is grain-finished, including the bison. And why do we do that? Because we find that people want a restaurant-quality steak at home that tastes good, that isn't tough like rubber, that they're proud to serve to their guests. In fact, for Father's Day, we've got some great products that you should look at. Bison tomahawks, Wagyu tomahawks, uh, USDA choice, actually USDA high choice, uh, ribeye strips, tenderloins um, that are certified Angus beef, which is really just a, a quality designation. These are Angus animals that have been designated high choice great quality steaks and that's what most people want so i look look to ranchfreshmeats.com for some great 
Father's Day and summer grilling ideas. Uh, back to the myths in marketing claims. We looked at um, uh, no hormones and we looked at grass-fed beef. Let's just look briefly at two others before we close out our day. And by the way, this is Gregory Bloom at um, uh, looking at food marketing claims with our new show that you can find more out about every week. We're going to air every Wednesday from 12.30 to 1. It's called Food Chat. It's about all things food, growing food, harvesting food, processing food, cooking food, eating food, and we'll be interviewing this summer farmers, ranchers, food processors, chefs, and restaurant owners. And so I think you'll learn a lot about food production and a lot about food that you don't know. And I'll be sharing my 31 years of experience in selling and marketing food. Beckley, let's go to our last uh, marketing claim for, for this time, and that's going to be the product of USA claim. When you pick up a package of meat, it has to say on the package of meat, whether you buy it from ranchfreshmeats.com or any retail store, it has to have a USDA number on it. What's the plant number of the plant it came from? That's there for your safety in case there was ever a recall. It's all there for you as a consumer to know where the product was processed. But one little loophole in the law that Congress passed um, about six years ago was they removed the requirement called country of origin labeling. They removed the requirement that the label has to say where the product actually originated from. And that was led by the lobbying efforts of the big meat companies who loved the idea and the practice, which they still get to practice, of buying meat products from anywhere in the world and processing it in the United States. And because they according to the USDA definition, transform the product from one form to another, they can now say that the product in that package is product of USA. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. How do you know? You really don't know from the package, but what you can know if you want to know is that in general, the only items that really pertains to are organic ground beef. Organic ground beef that is grass finished typically is going to come from another country and then be processed here and then repackaged here and then have the product of USA claim. Why? Why would they do that to organic beef and not any other protein? Well, think about it. A lot of other regions in the world can produce grass-finished beef, beef that's never been put in a feedlot, a lot cheaper than the United States can because these countries don't have this nasty thing called winter. For example, in Central America, especially Uruguay, a lot of great quality grass-finished beef comes out of Uruguay. So a U.S. processor of this beef might buy container load or truckloads of this product all year long in the form of 90% lean trimmings, bring it in, thaw it out partially, and then grind it, and then you're buying it in the store as grass-fed beef. So more about marketing claims on future shows. Come back and join us for Food Chat Wednesdays at 1230. Views and opinions expressed on KLZ 560 are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect those of Crawford Broadcasting, the station, management, employees, associates, or advertisers. KLZ 560 is a Crawford Broadcasting God and Country station.